It should have been a career-defining event. I was asked to host an hour-long show that was going to be tracking a major event that was going on in the city where I was living. Well, it was a career-defining moment, but not in a good way. This is conference season. This is company kickoff season. And a lot of you may have been asked to have a career-defining opportunity to speak. And I want to ensure that you prepare for those moments in a way where you don't experience what I did. I want your career-defining moment to be a positive one. Hi, I'm Karen Reed. I'm a four-time author, Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist and communication expert on helping people to own the room, whether it be a physical one or a virtual one. Welcome to Speaker Dynamics. Allow me to provide a little bit of context for what I said at the beginning of the show. Here was the situation. I was young in my career, and I was given the opportunity, the task really, to host this live show that was going to happen when the Olympic torch was carried through the city where I was working. I was really excited, did a ton of research, had all of my notes in hand, and we get to the big day, and I go downtown with the crew. When I showed up, what I realized was the way it had been set up gave me no line of sight of what was going on with the relay. I couldn't see where the runners were. I could not tell if they had even entered the city at that point from where I was standing. Instead, what I had was a very tiny monitor, which was at ground level, uh, and I was standing amongst throngs of people who were all there for the event. I had something in my ear that's called an IFB, which is a way that the control room can talk to you whenever you are doing any sort of live event. So like the director or the producer can talk to you. But if you can imagine, this was a really big deal in the city where we were, and there was a lot of noise. A lot of people were very excited, understandably, to be a part of this. And I could barely hear anything through my earpiece. So the show is getting ready to go live and I realize, okay, I'm basically blind and I'm deaf. I cannot see what's going on and I can't hear what's going on and I can't even hear the instructions that I'm being given. So somehow I fumbled my way through this live show. I did not do a good job, but here's what I realized afterwards. The fact that I did not do a good job really wasn't all my fault. I mean, maybe there was an element of it because I should have asked more questions than I did about how it was going to be set up. But truly, I had been set up to fail based upon how they had situated me in that crowd. And here's the thing, the people at home who are watching this show, who did not come down with the throngs of people downtown to watch it in person, they were not thinking, oh, poor Karen Reed. She was really put in a difficult position. She she didn't have the ability to watch was, what was going on in the big monitor and, and surely she couldn't hear over the din. No, you know what they were thinking? They were probably thinking, wow, that Karen Reed, I thought she was good, but she's really not very good. So from that point on, I realized that I needed to protect my face. <laughs> and I want to explain to you how it's really critical for all of you to do the same. 
So we are in this kind of run up right now to all of these big corporate events. And I know this because I've been hired by quite a few clients to help their main stage speakers uh, to perform best uh, and to help those who are perhaps doing demos or, or doing smaller presentations to be able to really shine at these big in-person interactions. And one of the things that I often see, no matter who the client is, is a lot of people working on the content leading up to it, but they're all kind of doing it in silos. And the person, ironically, who is presenting the information ultimately is often not even involved until the very end. So instead, what you have happen is there is a, a lot of work being done behind the scenes. And then right before they're ready to do, say, like a rehearsal or a dry run, the person who is presenting it is handed the content and they go, oh, well, well, this isn't what I had in mind at all. And that creates this whole series of, of chaos uh, that, that follows. And it, it becomes more of a discussion about the content and, and how they can put it together in a way that makes sense for everybody. The issue with this is you need to give people time to prepare. And if you're tweaking that content up to the end, you're really putting everything at risk. So what I want to share with you is what I would suggest you try to achieve when it comes to preparing for these high stakes presentations. So the first thing I want to share with you is a metric that might make your head spin. If you have a 20 minute presentation that you're delivering, you want to devote 20 hours to preparing for it. So that means for every one minute of presentation, you should allot one hour of prep time. And before those of you in the audience are saying, there's no way we can do that, Karen, I don't expect you to do it for every presentation that you do. But if you have a high stakes presentation, that career defining moment, I would highly, highly recommend that you do put that time in in advance. But what I mean by preparation, what does that involve? You know, sometimes if people are doing a regular presentation, they think, okay, preparation involves opening up PowerPoint and starting to create slides. <laughs> that is not what I'm talking about when it comes to preparation. What I am talking about is ideating. You know, think about what you want to say, analyzing your audience, trying to figure out, you know, what it is that will resonate with them. And then actually, you know, putting together the content perhaps, and then rehearsing it actually giving it voice. And this is something that most of us tend to ignore. But when I, what I want to hone on, on right now, though, is actually the first two, that idea of ideating and analyzing your audience. So oftentimes what we'll do when we are presenting, whether it's a high stakes one or not, is we'll think about what we want to say, but perhaps not what they need to hear. What do I mean by that? Well, you haven't taken the time to think about who's in your audience and what is going to resonate best with them. You haven't thought about how you can make your content relevant for them. And if you don't make it relevant for them, guess what? They're not going to listen. So why is it necessary to go through this process of analyzing your audience? Well, it gets back to this concept that I first read about in the book Made to Stick. Uh, it's by Chip and Dan Heath, and it's truly one of my favorite books uh, regarding any sort of, of content pre preparation or, or, or presentation prep. So in their book, they talked about the curse of knowledge. So the curse of knowledge is where you've known something for so long that you can't imagine what it's like 
not to know it. So for example, whenever I'm thinking about uh, putting together any sort of piece, I, I always try to think about, okay, who is in my audience? You know, what do they care about? What is valuable to them? Because if they don't care about it, they're not going to listen. So the first thing that you want to do in order to defeat the curse of knowledge is to ask yourself, who is in your audience? And I want you to go on, uh, go beyond just names, go beyond just uh, their titles. I want you to think about what experience they bring to the table. What is their area of expertise? Uh, what is the thing that's going to make them sit up and listen? So once you, you've answered that question, who is your audience? Then I want you to think about the next one, which is, okay, based upon that audience, what are their blind spots? What are the things that they need to know that they may not know? And this gets back to the whole curse of knowledge. You might leave out some critical context that is essential for them to understand what you are saying. Let me give you an example in my world, a small example. If I'm talking to people about what I did in my early career, uh, if I'm talking just to a, a, an audience that's based in the United States, I can say, well, I began my career in broadcast news and I work primarily for NBC. And then I can stop. But if I'm talking to an audience that is global, I know that if I talk about what I did for my early career, I have to say, well, I began as a broadcast journalist. I worked primarily for NBC, which is one of the major networks here in the United States. I have to add that extra bit of context about here in the United States, major network in order for people to understand what NBC is. So as you are thinking about your content, thinking about pulling that together, what are some of those blind spots that your audience might have that you need to be aware of and then address? And then the third thing that you want to do when it comes to analyzing your audience is ask yourself, what do I want them to learn? You know, it's so funny. It seems so basic, but oftentimes we don't think about it because we're so focused on preparing the content that we want to share. But you have to have a goal in mind. What is the one thing you want them to walk away with after hearing your presentation, after hearing your speech? And this is what I would call your core message, like the one key takeaway that you'd want them to come away with. Think about what that might be, because that is going to determine what you include in your presentation and what you do not. So that audience analysis needs to happen first before you do anything else in terms of preparation. Maybe it's a conversation you have your, with yourself if you're the one who is preparing the content. But a lot of times you might have other people who are helping you with that process. So this conversation needs to be had with them early on in the process. Don't wait until the day before that you're going to go into the rehearsal and, and realize that what they had in mind was definitely not what you had in mind. You know, set some time uh, aside well before the actual live event to talk about, okay, how can we make the most of this? What do we need our audience to, to hear and what do we need them to understand? So we're going to go deep in another episode on how to structure your content and make it memorable. But right now I want to like zoom ahead. <laughs> I want to zoom ahead and we're going to assume you had this conversation about who is in your audience, what are their blind spots, what do you want them to learn, and that you went through the process of creating this, this beautiful package of presentation content. Your job at this point is to figure out how you present best and how can you manage the 
technology and the setup in the presentation space. So let's talk first about how you can figure out the way you present best. There are a couple of different things that I see people do. Some people like to have a full script that they are using when they are, I'm just going to say up on stage. Uh, this is easier to do if you have a podium, because if you have all your papers sitting out, uh, it will not be apparent because you can have them placed on the podium and you can kind of work your way through your script. Uh, another quick tip on that, if you're using a full script, do not staple the pages together because it's really awkward whenever you see somebody flipping the pages up on stage. Instead, of what I would recommend you do is don't have them stapled, but then also kind of slide the top page from right to left and you can smoothly do that transition. And if you're afraid that what happens when you drop all your pages and, and they aren't in order, <laughs> another hack that I would suggest you do is uh, take a Sharpie, write the number of the page with a circle in the top right-hand corner. Uh, it's a quick, easy reference for you. So if those pages do drop on the floor, then you can easily reorder them. So that is the one way that people uh, find comfort in presenting is having a full-on script. The other thing I see a lot of people do is use bullets. Uh, and bullets are honestly the way I prefer uh, to present and way, the way I would suggest you try to get towards uh, presenting. Uh, the reason why is whenever you're, you're working off a script, uh, if you are working off you know, a full page, you're typically going to be reading it. And it's very hard to sound authentic when you are reading. Uh, we'll do an, another episode on how you can kind of get past that. But for now, the mo majority of us cannot actually sound authentic whenever we are reading off a page. The other thing that is worrisome is if you are using a script, sometimes we have a tendency to focus on articulating the words in a certain order as opposed to delivering a message with conviction. So if you're working off of bullets, you're focusing more on delivering the concept as opposed to certain wording. And it also gives you the ability to express yourself in the words that come to you in the moment. So that's why I'm a big fan of bullets. Uh, what I have seen lately from some clients is they try to do this hybrid where they'll take a full script and they'll say, oh, but we're just going to use bullets. But instead of making them short bullets, they make them into full sentences. So basically, they just take each sentence from the script and then put a bullet beside it. <laughs> That's really not accomplishing the goal. Uh, it, it's still, in essence, you know, working off a full script. So if you work in bullets, make the bullets short enough so that you can quickly glance down and get the gist of what you're trying to say and then allow yourself to make the, the concept come out in the words in the moment. So figure out what works best for you. I am not a fan of memorization. Uh, I think that's very difficult for a lot of us to pull off. Uh, and it also uh, can be very anxiety producing because if you lose yourself uh, in your train of thought and, and you're memorizing the entire thing, it can be very difficult to get back on track. Uh, so I, I like having presentation helpers. For me, that that is just a, a safety net that is uh, necessary in order for you to have confidence going into a, a big high stakes presentation. The other thing you want to consider is, okay, what is my presentation environment going to be like? So for example, will you have a podium? Uh, if you don't have a podium, maybe you think, okay, I probably don't want to have a whole stack of papers that I'm carrying up on stage with me. Maybe I want to use something else. Uh, oftentimes that something else is something called a confidence monitor. So a confidence monitor is basically 
a monitor or two, sometimes three, depending on the size of the space, that is up on stage or just below the stage. Sometimes it's even hanging. It depends upon the setup. That allows you as the speaker to be able to see your notes, but it's hidden from view view from the audience. Uh, So confidence monitors can be really helpful uh, because it it gives you that extra level of of security and comfort, uh, which is why they're called confidence monitors. Uh, But they also can be situated in a variety of ways. Uh, They can have a, a whole bunch of different kind of content on them. So for example, you could be just, you know, one of your slides to be in the confidence monitors. Maybe you're really comfortable just speaking to the slide that you are going to be sharing with the audience. It also can possibly be a place where you put those bullets. Uh, or maybe, uh, I don't recommend, but maybe you want to put the full script in there. Regardless of what you have in the confidence monitors, what typically will be required is somebody to move the content forward. Very rarely do you have just one slide when you're doing a big presentation. Very rarely do you have just one page of bullets. Uh, Usually it's a series of things. So you have to figure out, okay, who is going to be controlling that? I am a control freak when it comes to moving through my content. I like to to move my own slides. Uh, I like to to be in control of all those things uh, that are helping me to be a good presenter. That is not always the case uh, for for all of you. I know that, uh, but it, you know, keep in mind that this is another factor that has to go into the equation of of your uh, setting yourself up for success. If you have somebody who's going to be controlling your content, make sure you're very clear on when they should be moving things forward, uh, because you don't want to be in a situation where you need the slide to be moved forward, but they haven't, and then you actually have to call it out. Uh, that's uncomfortable. Here is my pet peeve that I see with a lot of clients is they'll have a lot of cooks in the kitchen on the content who will be wanting to add another thing and another thing and another thing to the recipe up to the point where it's being served. And honestly, that's not fair. That is not fair to the speaker. It's not fair to the presenter. I want to share with you a story uh, that came from a client situation where there were too many cooks in the kitchen and I was not given adequate time to prepare. I was asked to moderate a panel discussion of these experts in the financial world. Uh, And we're talking about one of them was a Nobel Prize winner in economics. The audience was full of Wall Street financiers. And let me tell you, um, my knowledge of the financial industry is is pretty thin. (laughs) But I was assured, oh, Karen, you will have a full script and we will give you all the questions that you can pose to the panelists. And I thought, okay, great, I can do this, no problem. And I practiced and I practiced leading up to this big event, uh, even though I was a little bit nervous because it was certainly, you know, very high stakes. And I get to New York, which is where it was held, and and I'm, I'm, you know, going up on stage. And the person who was in charge of the event handed me another script. And they said, oh, we made some changes. And I had zero time to take a look at it. I had zero time to practice it. I had zero time to even process if I knew what all those acronyms meant. And I went through the uh, whole moderation process. Uh, I did okay. I certainly did not do great, but I was put in in a situation where I was not given adequate time to prepare to do my very best. I don't want this happening to you. So what I would suggest is that you 
steal a practice from the theater world, which is where they freeze the show. So the reason why you freeze the show is that you want to give the actors an opportunity to really practice it and rehearse it well. Um, you know, so when you freeze a show, it means that no more changes can occur. So I want you to think about how you can freeze your presentation. You know, set a deadline. Say, okay, on this day, whether it's two days before the event, whatever works for you, say, we're going to freeze this right now. There can be no more changes because there might be some people who say, but, you know, this is really important to change this. What is really important is that you can deliver it with impact and influence. And if you don't have adequate time to prepare, you're not going to be able to accomplish that. So come up with a free, you know, freeze the the presentation deadline and make sure everybody is aware of it and make sure that everybody complies. You know, the value of good content will be lost if you are not comfortable delivering it. So any tweak is not worth a potential damage that could occur as a result of those tiny tweaks. So let's talk about the one big takeaway from today uh, is protect your face. You know, you are the one who is going to be judged based upon that presentation. Uh, nobody's going to care if you were not given adequate time to prepare. Nobody's going to care if they didn't, you know, check with you in advance to make sure that you were happy with how they were structuring the message. They're just going to judge you. So you need to protect your face, which means that you need to prepare. Preparation is everything. Take the time to do it right. Remember that metric for every one minute of presentation, a lot, one hour of prep time. So our bonus content today is also, you know, in line with this whole idea of presentation uh, preparation. And it is actually a worksheet that you can use to help you to analyze your audience if you would like to access it, you can download a copy by going to speakerdynamics.com slash bonus content. So for that audience analysis worksheet, go to speakerdynamics.com slash bonus content. And feel free to share it with your colleagues as well. Uh, so this episode is focusing on protecting your face. Uh, the next episode is focused on part of your face. <laughs> it's actually focused on eye contact. And this is much more complex than it's ever been because we have so many different ways that we are interacting with our audiences. You know, making eye contact with people in person is a whole lot easier than making proper eye contact with people on the other side of the camera lens. And guess what? Sometimes we have to do both at the same time. So I want to devote the next episode to helping you to figure out how to make good eye contact in our modern, complex communication environment. So you do not want to miss it. Speaking of not missing things, if you want to make sure that you are notified of every time one of these episodes drop, please make sure to subscribe to Speaker Dynamics Own the Room and give us a follow. And also, please let your friends, your family, your colleagues know about us. We'd love to start building a community here. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time.